this is Louise Campbell, co-host of Surfing the National Army podcast, and I'm standing in this week for Roger Green whilst he takes a well-earned rest. And when he told me it was Jersey Shore, I just automatically thought of the programme. I never knew it was a place, so hopefully he's having a great time on Jersey Shore and having some rest and relaxation so while the cat is away, the mice get to play. This weekend, we're offering conversations from Season 3, Episode 42, looking at the development framework and how this may be helpful for developing integrated multidisciplinary pathways for people with NASH or NAFLD. Within this, we delve into the role that patients and allied health professionals have within these and how and why some of these stakeholders are not involved from the beginning. And as you can probably appreciate, when you have a bunch of nurses on a podcast with a doctor, it might get a little feisty. So well done, John Schattenberg, and listen for more. How far can we place NASH across the 17 Sustainable Development Goals by the UN? And despite their lack of awareness on the healthcare front line, do they offer the solutions to integrated care pathway development in NASH. Using the SDGs, the team looked through a few of the highlighted ones, education, economic and financial and social resources amongst them within the care systems, from behavioural models from Finland to John coming out of the physician's cocoon. So you won't want to miss this one. There was a lovely piece in going back to the original paper that was about education and it was about the fact that there is no liver education in schools and liver health isn't engaged at a, a school level and maybe that's what needs to change a lot of schools have to do health checks on children within their concept so actually maybe adding liver health as an outcome or a, certainly a discussion with the growing risk of obesity cardiovascular problems in children as they get older is that somewhere that this sort of framework could engage in the community because if we start that conversation earlier liver health isn't then something that people aren't aware of because I think as Stephen said engaging a cardiologist in liver health or primary care it's not at the top of agenda but if it started a little bit earlier which I think was where that part of the framework when I read that work took me that's maybe where we should be now engaging as that level in the SDGs that education. Michelle Clayton. I was just going to say I think that's really important Louise and we always talk about the next generation don't we and we already know there are some dramatic statistics around children who are overweight or obese already and those percentages are absolutely terrifying because we are building the next generation of people with NAFLD already. It's interesting to think about it as we say as a more focus on on liver health maybe in schools. I wonder whether the pushback might be that well we talk about healthy eating and we talk about exercise and we talk about alcohol and we talk about drugs. You know those four concepts areas are related to most of the risk factors for liver disease aren't they? Absolutely when we look at the percentage of children who are now overweight and obese we have to do something and maybe this is possibly something that we could use as a concept I had the pleasure to meet a liver social worker specialised for hepatology in the US when I was recently there. We never get access to stuff like that in the UK that I'm aware of. It's so valuable given the social problems that a lot of patients have or the psychosexual problems or any of those that really need a different target. So how broad do we go on allied health? Do we absolutely need specialist allied health or should we have specialist allied health? Jean, do you have a social worker in Germany? Jörn Schattenberg. We, we 
do, but it's heavily focused on inpatients, obviously. Working in a hospital-based system, that's where the revenue for the system is generated, and there's a strong focus on inpatients. Now, in the outpatient, it's much more complex that's offered. It's run through the primary care, so it's nothing that I can directly prescribe as an expert, and I have to always refer the patient back to the primary care, as the whole system in Germany is somehow primary care-centric, where he sends them off, gets some opinions, and then collects everything, and stuff is run through the primary care physician. But as we all know, there's not a lot of time for the primary care to focus on all these different aspects. So while I think it's important, I'm not sure that in my setting that's the, the way forward, and I don't have funds at this time. But revisiting the theme of the sustainable development goals, I think this is one area that also could be defined where we point out that more resources and funds are needed. Oh, absolutely. Robert, do patients feel that there's a lack of social resources in the system and people who have that specialist knowledge, particularly now we're in a, a sort of credit crisis, lower incomes, higher inflation rates? How much pressure does that put on? Robert Mitchell Fain. No, it's a great question. If anyone's had the misfortune to hear me present over the years, you'll know I talk about a number of... <laughs> I have a few drums that I like to bang and I do so because they're important. One example being that as long as the donut is cheaper than the apple, we're going to struggle to implement change. You know, when we are asking patients to conduct psychological warfare against manufacturers such as Kellogg's, Coca-Cola, other manufacturers are available. You know, we, we could, you, we could, there's a list there. Now, I just pulled out the two that were top of my head. But whilst we're asking patients to singularly conduct that warfare and fight the might and, and genius of the advertising industry, we're never going to implement change. And so it has to be coordinated. There has to be social aspects to this. And we, we absolutely need to, to come together as communities. So it's not a one-on-one -on -one fight because it's not a one-on-one -on -one fight. And the stronger we are together, I think the more chance we've got. Sorry, on you go. When you were describing that there, you were describing the SDG, I think it's number two, which is hunger, food, malnutrition, including obesity, the eating. So I think the framework leads us into the natural discussions. And when you pick out the points, it leads us back to the framework, which is why I do like it as a basis that people should look at from that interconnection. When I was reading it, it was also about what questions do I assess patients with I should be asking, if you want to do exercise, do you actually live in an environment that allows you to safely go and exercise? That's what it pulls me back to, a more holistic assessment of a patient or the environment that they live in. And I think that was done very nicely. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Is it safe to exercise? Can you afford to exercise? Do you have childcare so you can exercise? There are so many social aspects to that, just that one simple question. And you're absolutely right. We need to be hammering down to this level of detail to support patients in their own journey. You, you bang on the head there, Louise. Thank you. Can I go from that detail? Of course you can. Which is absolutely right to the other end of the scale where how do you get these sustainable goals embedded in NHS England or in, in a health system? If it doesn't filter down, I'll, I'll just talk about the UK, but if it doesn't filter down from the Department of Health to NHS England to integrated care boards integrated clinical systems to GP land people are just too busy with other things how do you make that sort of step because that detail that Robert's just spoken about is absolutely crucial they are the barriers that stops people exercising but it's on a, it's on a continuum and you need to be, you need to get it in somewhere there needs to be it in somewhere within the NHS and that's exactly the point that was the question we started with at the beginning is every government apart that's in the United Nations and the WA 
WHO has signed up to the sustainable deliverable goals and we do not get it out of we don't get it at the front line it's not in NHS England so how do we deliver the improvement that that requires so you're exactly right Robert so a couple of things if I may so I'm going to show patient organisations so I'll just I'll put that out there and I'll come back to it in a second now you may or may not be aware now I'm going to forget his surname it's Dr Mike and it'll come back to me and he was a Canadian physician who did a, an animation called 23 and a half hours and it's available on YouTube and it's an immensely powerful piece and I discovered that through working with a heart unit in Dundee and just that five minute video was enough to start to address the barriers and you know that was one unit who then through conferences and everything else led and, and shared it with a lot of other units on these kind of topics I think the patient support organizations come together you know I think it was Jorn that said earlier that you know patients talk to patients and you're talking about your, your patient body system we are an inbuilt patient body system you know when you talk about the fatigue where you feel like the power's been pulled or when you're talking about a niche under the skin another patient's going to understand how that feels and that connection is there it's instant and it's permanent and again it's another powerful route to to engagement so to answer Stephen's point and again it's a great question but I think the more <laughs> it goes back to, to what Louise said about right at the start the more we work together as entire communities and bring all the stakeholders in and the power that they hold we've got more chance of cracking this. Stephen you want to say something before I start to sum up? You know no peer-to-peer absolutely works and there's there's, there's fabulous evidence in, in peer-to-peer breastfeeding support which helps both in initiation and long-term breastfeeding uh, which improves outcomes across the board and um, so the evidence base is there and that was something that was supported by NICE you know the National Institute of Clinical Excellence really but getting people around the table and getting people together there needs to be not authority as such really but there needs to be some support given from both I do believe that I've seen lots of lots of enthusiastic people lots of enthusiastic subjects discussed but without that sort of rubber stamp that it's okay to go forward and do this you're treading water people just keep doing it keep doing but they're just treading water really and it's almost like you know I haven't got time to to sort of share this but if you can read I can can share the, the, the paper but if you read about the North Corelli behaviour change model where they made amazing changes in, in, in reducing cardiovascular disease in, in Finland. That's just a, a fabulous example of actually working with patients face to face but working at government level at the same time. Fantastic. We'll, we'll put that on the website as to what the link is so that people can do that. But we are now well over the hour. So fascinating discussion and thank you very much for everybody. So I'm just going to go around clockwise on my screen and just to ask you what you're going to take away and just briefly the complex bit of where we're now going to head to get allied health into these pathways because whilst we've got a framework here moving it forward is going to be interesting so Michelle your take on what you've taken out of today I suppose I've clearly articulated where I feel nurses and allied health professionals and patients need to be in this I think personally for me I'm very interested listening to others about these different approaches so the 90-99 I'm, I'm off to look at Robert's animation this 
behaviour model from Finland. I think it's about educating ourselves as well, isn't it, about all of these different opportunities. And this discussion lends the fact that people come at it with very different backgrounds and and information uh, to give. So I'm very interested to look at these resources and think about how they might be able to make an impact. Fantastic. Robert? Thank you. First takeaway, this is always a pleasure and always an education. Second takeaway, there is incredible work being done. And I think that the sooner it comes out of silos, the better. My last takeaway is that there is an immense knowledge base out there. And for us to crack this, we need to come together as a unit because there's so much that we've learned from each other just in this one hour. And if we were to work meaningfully together, hour after hour, day after day, we would learn so much more and we would get to the answers much, much quicker. So those are my takeaways. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you, Stephen. Well, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me, Louise. It's been great. I'll be truthful. This is my first podcast. So I was a wee bit nervous. But anyway, I promised to send you the Pushka paper on the North Karelia Behaviour Change Model. I'm open invite to talk about the 1990-90 concept and I've translated that to another disease area. I'm happy to do that. And I will think about how to get liver disease higher on the agenda because I work across different disease areas and stuff really Uh, someone's done this before somewhere else so I'll try and have a little think and see if there's something that you can sort of translate might be be something in dementia I think um, off the top of my head but that's what I'll do but it's been good discussion and lots of learning and uh, a pleasure meeting you Jordan so I don't think we've necessarily nailed down how the pathway is going to move forward but we've nailed down that we need to be all over it like a rash <laughs> so what, what were your take on that's a good that's a good learning right and i think the pathway moving forward to develop needs a lot of players and uh, robert michelle and Stephen helped me to break out of my physician's cocoon which is of course difficult because you have to uh, then face the patient and leave your home grounds where you're comfortable with all your diagnostic tests and leave that dissymmetric uh, communication of course it's always great to exchange at that level and i'm very glad and thankful for the honest and open feedback here and uh, I think we can make things better and actually develop something for patients with patients supported by nurses and in the end promote liver health and that's uh, very reassuring for me. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Surfing the Nash Tsunami. Until then, stay safe and surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.